Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hello and welcome back to our study in Galatians. We have been looking at the gospel. We've been chewing on some some more dense material as Paul makes the argument of why the gospel is so important and especially of why he's trying to protect it so much. In fact, one of the things that we've been looking at is simply that before Christ, we were all lawbreakers. We had a verdict hanging above our heads that simply said, guilty, we deserved death. But through faith, everything changes. Through faith, Christ actually receives our verdict of guilty and dies the death we should have died. And through faith, we received his verdict of not guilty and lived the life that he has allowed us to live. And so we are reminded through that illustration that we talked about, the tightrope, right? The tightrope is the law. And even when we just start to step on that thing, we start wiggling pretty quickly and then all of a sudden we're off. But Christ is the one that can walk perfectly across it. And faith means allowing him to carry us across, knowing that it is impossible for us to do so on our own. And Paul has been explaining that so long as we try to resurrect that law, as long as we try to find life in being obedient to the law, we will actually never experience resurrection or the life that truly comes through Christ. And so that's where we start today as we pick up in chapter 3, verse 10. So follow along with me as Paul's arguments continue. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, Paul here says that the law, man, is good because it shows us what is righteous. It shows us what is good. But unfortunately, in light of that, it also shows us that we are not that we are not good, that we are not righteous. And he starts to explain this through quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26, that says that anybody who doesn't obey this law is going to be cursed. And this was right when, when Moses had gotten the law and they go up on these two different mountains and there's blessings and curses, and all of these curses are for those who turn away from the law and abandon it. And, and Paul's making the point, like, if you abandon the law at any point, you are under this curse. But then he starts to show how Christ actually takes that curse upon himself. He shows that when Christ died on the cross, he actually took the curse upon himself. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23. He says that anybody who's hung on a, a pole or a tree is under a curse. Now, the truth is, this text wasn't necessarily talking about crucifixion. But Paul's point is that it talks about somebody who is dead being nailed onto a pole or a tree. And this is what happened to Christ, but it was even worse because he was alive. And then he was left to be dead. And Paul is saying here that that curse that would remain on that person is is simply a metaphor, an illustration of the curse that Christ took on our behalf when we were disobedient to the law, even though Christ was perfectly obedient to it. He was nailed to a tree. He became a dead man. And yet it was for us. It was for his purchase of us. 
It was how he bought us. And that's why that word redemption is being used here. It means literally purchased or bought us. And I think Paul explains really what happened in a theological way pretty well in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, this is the reason the redemption took place. He said, this is the reason that redemption was really the blessing of Abraham, that it may come through faith in Christ instead of perfect obedience. And this is the reason why it becomes so meaningful, because it's no longer reduced to the Jewish religion. It's no longer reduced to the law that was given to this this faith community. In fact, it now transcends those things because it's now simply in faith to Christ. And so all the obstacles that may have hindered so many others from from experiencing salvation and goodness is now available to them. But more importantly, it's now available to the Jews themselves, who it became impossible for to earn that on their own. And so Paul gives a further example now of what he's getting at. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. See, Paul changes his tone here a little bit. He says, brothers and sisters, I just imagine him like being like a father, getting on one knee, kind of gently instructing his children in a little bit of a place where they might have had a misconception or a mess up or a mistake. And he just comes around and he says, brothers, sisters, Paul's saying this covenant, man, it means everything. And I want you to understand that a covenant, it can't be broken or changed. Like this isn't like a contract. There's no wiggle room. There's no loopholes. There's no cancellations. This is a promise that lasts forever, forwards and backwards. This is everything that it means when we talk about Abraham and the the covenant that God made with him. You can read about that in Genesis 12 and 17, but the point is he's saying that this covenant was made to Abraham, was a promise to Abraham about his seed, about to a person. Now, Paul, he's doing a little bit of interpretation for us in the Old Testament. He's saying actually that this seed is not talking about lots of people, but one person, Christ. And he's saying that this is actually the person in which this promise is found and fulfilled. And he continues on in verse 17. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So what's Paul's point? He's saying that the covenant with Abraham was made significantly earlier And so that actually means it's superior to the one that came 430 years later through Moses. That this actually shows that it's a superior promise and one that, again, won't be broken or changed. And so Paul begins to anticipate the questions that might arise now at this point. Listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. See, the question that Paul's trying to to answer, that he assumes that they're going to ask is, well, why do we even need a law at all if we're just going to abandon it someday? And Paul's saying, because the law is a good thing. It's still the revelation of God. It's still the will of God. It shows us what is beautiful and good and life-giving and leads to human flourishing. 
It's just that in light of it, doing that, it also shows us how we have failed to uphold it. It shows us our unrighteousness. It shows us the punishment we deserve. It shows us that we deserve death. That just reminds me of like old clothes that you have that you've gotten so used to that you don't even think about it anymore. Like I have these shoes that I've been wearing for a long time. I'm not a big clothes person, so I'll just buy a new pair of shoes and I will wear them till they get tattered and torn. But just a couple weeks ago, I was wearing these shoes and a friend of mine came in with the exact same shoes on. But I don't know if he just keeps them in good condition or if they were brand new or what, but they looked immaculate. They looked great. And I was like, oh my gosh, it might be time for me to get some new shoes because looking at mine and looking at his, I mean, this is what they were supposed to look like. This is how they were supposed to be. This is the function that they were supposed to have. And that's what the law does. It comes in, it shows us, this is how it was supposed to be. This is the function that I was supposed to have. This is the way in which I was supposed to look and behave and become. And what happens is the law actually begins to show us that we are significantly more tattered and torn than we realize. It shows us that it becomes a measure for us in knowing what we should really drive to become. And Isaiah, man, he tells us, man, it's hard. Isaiah says that our, even our good works are like filthy rags. And this is what the law does. It shows us that our lives are, are a lot significantly more filthy than we realize. And Paul's whole point in this is to show that even though this law is good, it actually it came through angels and a mediator, right? And so just like the law uh, was inferior to the covenant of promise because it came after, he's saying that this law actually becomes inferior to the promise because it was given through a mediator instead of directly from God himself. See, Paul's point is to show that the law is supposed to be a blessing, but at times it can become a, a, a slave master because it shows us how inferior we are to uphold it. But he's saying that this was only supposed to be until the promise came and was fulfilled that was first made to Abraham. This is what he says in, in verse 21. He says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the question is, if the promises of God impart life and the law imparts death, does that mean that they're actually opposed to each other? That they fight against each other? And Paul says again with strong emphasis, absolutely not. The law is the revelation of what is good. It is God's will for our life. It leads to human flourishing. And so our, our hope is that it would continue to guide us in some way, right? But the Old Testament shows us the inability for people to uphold it. That's why there's this constant circle of rebellion that we see over and over and over again through the scriptures. Now, Paul says scripture has locked up everything under sin. And what he's showing here is a high view of sin, a high authority of what it is scripture is. It's, it's the authority of God. It's the will of God revealed to us that we may know and understand who he is. And what it's saying is part of that revelation tells us that we are people enslaved to sin. We all fall short. We all have allowed ourselves to be lawbreakers. And so that's what Paul is pointing out, that Scripture has sealed this, but it's also sealed the promise. It's also sealed the fact that a king has come in Christ Jesus to set us free, and that's what faith does. We are no longer under the law when we have faith in Christ. 
Paul continues on in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And this is one of the most prominent and repeated scriptures of all time, and that's because it contains such powerful truth. It shows us what the gospel changes. We go from sinners to saints. We go from people who were located as individuals to be people who are located in Christ. We're not just holy people living independently of one another. We are unified in Christ, being found in Him. And our filthy rags are being ripped off, shredded out, and we are now being clothed with Christ, in Christ. He's changing everything about us in God. God now sees not our unrighteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And it says here that we actually become the seed that Abraham has been talking about this whole time. Now, this is, sounds a little bit contradictory, right? Because Abraham said there wasn't lots of seeds, there was one seed. But this is actually the climax of everything Abraham has been attempting to say, that the seed is Christ, that we are actually in Christ. There's only one. We are a unified body, and we are allowing ourselves to no longer be consumed by our individuality, but actually expressed more vividly and beautifully in the body of Christ. We are no longer being people who have a verdict over our head reading guilty, and no longer defined by our, our earthly status of a female or a male. Or, or, or a slave or a free or a Jew or a Gentile, we are being categorically changed. And it's amazing. It's changing everything. Now, the truth is these distinctions, they're not obliterated, right? That doesn't mean there's no such thing as a male or a female or a free person or a slave person or a Jew or a Gentile. The point is that these earthly realities no longer defined our heavenly destiny. They no longer define how God sees us. They no longer define our value or our worth in any way, shape, or form. The point is that now our heavenly status is invading the earthly reality. And when people start to see us, they actually start to see Christ displayed and manifested through us. And next time we're going to look at Galatians 4 and how that heavenly status begins to invade that earthly reality in a more vivid way. So we'll see you next time. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.